Hello and welcome to Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'm Mike Allen, here with another story about historically significant people, places, and events from Connecticut's long and fabled past. Today on Amazing Tales, say the word canal, and the first thing that comes to mind for most people is the Erie Canal. Canals had a relatively short lifespan in U.S. history, but Connecticut had the Farmington Canal back in the 1800s, and what a story behind it. Richard DeLuca is back as my guest. He's the foremost expert on the history of transportation in Connecticut, an author of Post Roads and Iron Horses, as well as Paved Roads and Public Money. And now, the canal that split Connecticut in half. There's a very old joke that asks whether you want to hear the story about the three holes in the ground. Well, if you say yes, the reply is, well, well, well. Didn't say it was a hilarious joke, just old. Well, the story of the Farmington Canal is a story about a canal, a train line, and a hiking path. Not so funny in and of itself, but there are some pretty humorous twists and turns along the way. First off, it's absolutely true that Connecticut used to have a canal all the way through it, from north to south, cutting the state down the middle. It was the Farmington Canal. And that division through the state was as much political as it was physical. But in a foreshadowing of what's to come, it took 10 years to build a canal that would only be in operation for 12 years after that. Richard DeLuca is the foremost expert on the development of Connecticut through its various transportation methods. He says the canals were the technology that improved transportation efficiency beyond wagon trains. And they were with us until trains came along. This was all in the early 1800s. Traffic along canals benefited from the buoyancy of the water. It offered a huge advantage over the deep ruts and bumpy dirt roads that horses and wagons had to cross over. A canal boat could carry a lot more weight, and it could travel four miles an hour. Doesn't sound like a lot, but with the extra cargo carrying capacity, and the fact that four miles an hour still beat the average horse and wagon, canals were the next best thing in trade and transportation. Richard says that Connecticut's legislature had actually chartered half a dozen canals at one point in time, but most were never even started. You had to make sure it was physically doable. You couldn't get a cost figure unless you sent somebody out there, which was an expense itself, to survey the route and see how many locks you'd need, where they would be, that sort of thing. For example, one canal had been targeted from Stratford to New Milford along the Housatonic River. Another was considered between Westport and Danbury along the Saugatuck River. One reason why the Farmington Canal made it was due to some rather ingenious financial wizardry. Richard says the city of New Haven and the state of Connecticut chartered a new bank and dedicated a portion of the profits to the new venture. Why New Haven? Well, this is a major part of the story. If you weren't aware of this, New Haven and Hartford have a rivalry that's been around since almost the first colonialists arrived, and that was nearly 400 years ago. The animosity that has always existed between New Haven and Hartford, uh, as it rears its head every once in a while in transportation matters, as it does in a lot of other issues. Historically, both cities wanted to be the state's capital, and for 175 years, they shared the distinction to being the capital of Connecticut. 
That ended in 1875 when Hartford's growing status as an insurance center gave it the edge. Well, traveling between the cities was a huge challenge. High hills between Meriden and Berlin, where Lamentation Mountain is located, made horse and buggy virtually impossible. In fact, the General Assembly used to rotate its sessions between the cities just to limit the need to travel between them. Now, in neighboring New York State, a very impressive project occurred in the early 1800s. The Erie Canal was built, connecting the Great Lakes and the rich farmland there with the Hudson River and New York City. Before the Erie Canal, all the goods, the major goods that were produced in this country, all flowed from north to south. They all went basically to New Orleans. The Erie Canal is still considered to be the single biggest catalyst that drove New York City to its current status as the major city in the world. It literally turned the United States transportation apparatus on its head. And that did not go unnoticed in Connecticut. We could build a canal here, or we could build one there, you know, and we'll make millions. Didn't quite happen that way, but New Haven folks got that idea. And the idea of building the Farmington Canal came as the great rush to build canals was just starting to take off in the country. Nobody gave a lot of thought to how practical or how economical any of this was going to be. But everybody wanted to score big like New York State did when they built the Erie Canal. New Haven businessmen had a good reason for being envious of the folks along the Erie Canal. New Haven had drawn the short straw in terms of geographical settings in Connecticut. It had a beautiful harbor with great access to Long Island Sound. But Richard says a quirk of geological formations during the last ice age kept the Farmington River from doing what every other major river in Connecticut does, namely flow north to south. Something happened in the southern part of Farmington that blocked the flow of the Farmington River, so that the Farmington River is the only river valley that does not flow north to south in Connecticut. It actually takes, if you follow the Farmington River, actually takes a U-turn and bends upward again and then to the east and winds up in the Connecticut River. So can you picture this? The blip in the river literally has it turning abruptly in a U-turn and therefore not taking its natural trajectory, which would have been New Haven. And the result? Well, the produce from the rich Farmington River Valley in central Connecticut could only get to New Haven over the same perilous horse and buggy route that the politicians had to venture between New Haven and Hartford. Now, on the other hand, Hartford had a much different story. It didn't have a harbor on Long Island Sound, but it did have the wide, flowing Connecticut River going right next to it, stretching to the Sound in the south and going north all the way into Vermont. Plenty of opportunity for trading via the water. Richard says that this set up a tale of two cities. One that has river access to all of New England above it, and the other one has got Long Island Sound and the Atlantic Ocean at its feet, but no way to get things into New Haven. For many years, ferry boats used to sail from Hartford down the Connecticut River to Long Island Sound and then make a right-hand turn and head down to New York City. It was a major route for decades. But north of Hartford, there was a different geological blip to worry about. There was a minor falls near Enfield, which made navigation along that stretch of the Connecticut River treacherous at best. 
New Haven officials reviewed the circumstances and realized that the Ice Age's impact on the Farmington River had dealt them a losing hand. That water should have gone to New Haven. And the New Haven folks, to correct that little mistake, went through this entire scheme of trying to build the Farmington Canal. At this point, both Hartford and New Haven were eyeing one another with some suspicion. The big prize or golden ring was to replicate the success of the Erie Canal. What New York had done was to take all the business from Midwest farmers away from the Mississippi River. Instead, they had faster access to market using the Erie Canal. In Connecticut, the big prize then was not only to secure the farmers' produce from the rich farming sections in the middle of Connecticut, but also to head further north into Massachusetts and even Vermont, capturing all the crops and other products made there. For New Haven, that meant they would need a canal. For Hartford, that meant that they would need a canal bypass around the falls in Enfield. Richard says that if New Haven had simply built its canal into the rich farmland in the Farmington River Valley in the center of Connecticut, it probably would have been good enough. But they said, no, we got to beat Hartford at this game, okay? Which means we got to intercept all of New England's traffic before it gets to Hartford. Instead, Richard says New Haven's eyes got bigger than their stomach. Instead of being satisfied building a canal to Northampton, Massachusetts, which their project finally did, they had grandiose dreams of total control in their crosshairs. They said, you know what? We can even beat those folks in New York because we'll run this canal all the way up to the St. Lawrence River in Canada. And then we'll take the stuff from north of the Erie Canal, and we'll bring that all to New Haven. At that point, ground hadn't even been broken on this majestic concept. It was the first step the New Haven project was going to aim for Northampton, Massachusetts, bypassing Hartford and gaining access to the lucrative markets north of its rival. And so ground was symbolically broken by the Farmington Canal Company on Independence Day, July 4th, 1825. Picks and shovels horses and wagons to dig a trench from New Haven to Northampton. The canal, on average, was 36 feet wide and 4 feet deep. The towpath was another 10 feet wide. That's where mules and horses pulled the barge boats. Mainly Irish immigrants dug the canal by hand. Dozens of bridges had to be built to cross over the canal and roads were disrupted. In the town of Farmington itself, the namesake for the Farmington River, engineers faced a particularly daunting task. In fact, as Richard says, it seemed particularly ridiculous, given all the circumstances surrounding the project. The irony, sort of adding insult to injury, they had to carry the, the canal itself on an aqueduct over the Farmington River that denied them the water in the first place. You can still see the remnants of the aqueduct bridge in Farmington to this day, and I have some historic images of it in operation posted on my Facebook page at Amazing Tales CT. In five years, he had managed to complete the canal as far north as Granby, which is north of Hartford. Richard believes they should have just stopped there. Instead, they had to take the time to deal with politicians in Massachusetts where there were delays in getting a charter to complete the project in that state. In addition, the Massachusetts portion was the costliest due to the terrain and the number of locks that were needed. Finally, in 1835, the
the 85-mile-long canal was finally opened along its full length. That was 10 years after the first shovelful of dirt had been turned. Meantime, Hartford wasn't just sitting idly by. They didn't want New Haven to have the upper leg. The grand design in Hartford was to bypass the falls at Enfield and then use the existing locks on the Connecticut River as far north as Bellows Falls, Vermont, to capture all of the trading opportunities there. So they're looking to take control of all the locks on the Connecticut River for which they need Massachusetts legislative approval. Hartford's theory was simple. They could use steamships on the Connecticut River, and they were twice as fast as barges on canals. They could also carry much more cargo than barges. But they were having trouble getting approval from Massachusetts. Richard says both Hartford and New Haven had inadvertently stepped into the middle of a much bigger dynamic, the concept of interstate commerce. Basically what they're, they're dealing with, though neither of them realize it at the time, is they're trying to form a regional and interstate transportation operation that rightfully belongs under the federal government. You know, the federal government would have the, maybe have the clout to do that, but they're trying to do it as two individual cities. And that wasn't going very well on either front. New Haven did finally get approval to build its canal into Northampton, Hartford, however, never did get to own the locks along the Connecticut River. They could use them, they just couldn't own them. So Hartford built the bypass around Enfield, and then they built a steamship designed to show off their prowess and superiority over the New Haven Canal venture. The first steamboat they build to try to show people how great this service is going to be, they send it up to Bellows Falls, and they built the boat too big to make it through the locks that exist there. So the maiden voyage turned into a colossal embarrassment for Hartford. Meantime, New Haven's Farmington Canal was having issues of its own. Farmers didn't like the project, and they were purposely kicking in the sides of the earthen canal, causing water to drain out of it. There were other water access issues that plagued operations and interrupted deliveries. Business was not brisk. Plus, Richard says there was a new sheriff in town. And of course, by that time, they didn't know this, but by that time, they were on the eve of the railroad, you know. So that, you know, it was just, it was just a, a good idea that was just taken too far. Finally, facing a lack of operating capital, the canal had to close in 1847. And that was just 12 years after it had opened. Instead, in a tip of the hat to that new sheriff, the canal was filled in and railroad tracks were laid both on top of the canal as well as the towpath that went past it. The canal railroad remained in use until the early 1980s. Then there was a major flood that severely damaged the line to the point where it could no longer be used. The track was largely removed by 1987. Except that is for a small stretch in Plainville, it remains active today as a freight line. And in another tip of the hat to a trend that seems to follow old rail lines, work began in the 1990s on creating the Farmington Canal Linear Park. This is a bike hiking rail trail that currently runs only through Hamden and Cheshire. But there are plans to complete the 10-foot wide paved biking path the entire 85-mile length between New Haven and Northampton, Massachusetts. 
Ironically, the bicycles that ride along that stretch right now, and likely many of the runners as well, go far faster than either the horse and buggies or canal barges that traversed the same geography 200 plus years ago. That's it for this episode of Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's Beaten Path. I want to thank my guest for this episode, Richard DeLuca of Cheshire. He's the author of Post Roads and Iron Horses, as well as Paved Roads and Public Money. Please follow me at my main podcast website, amazingtalesct.podbean.com. And also in between episodes, you can check out my Facebook page at Amazing Tales CT. I have some great images on there right now of the Farmington Canal for you to see. Plus, I'd love to hear from you, and you can always send me an idea of a story you'd like me to look into. If you liked what you heard, spread the word with your family and friends. See you next time here on Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's Beaten Path. I'm Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy. Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path is a production of True North Associates, LLC.